Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Hello, welcome back to another episode. Lots of things have happened in our weeks as usual. Caroline, you went to a fun podcasty event this week. I did. So one of the great things about starting our own podcast has been hearing from other people who do podcasts and who are interested in them and stuff. And one such thing was a guy called Felix Trench got in touch with me a couple of weeks ago to tell me about a sort of straight to podcast sitcom, I suppose you describe it, called Wooden Overcoats, which is in many senses a fairly well-known form. It's not that dissimilar to the kind of stuff we were talking about when you listen to Cabin Pressure. You know, it's a kind yeah. of it's a sitcom set on a fictional Channel Island set in an Undertaker's and like a rival Undertaker turns <laughs> up and wooden overcoats being a kind of euphemism for coffins, you know. Hey. And it turns out that there's a bit of League of Gentlemen about it. The community is revealed to be weirder and weirder. You know, there's this kind of constant presence of death, yet you're laughing at it, you know. Mm. But it has a cast of sort of six to eight different people, many of whom are established or up-and-coming voice actors. It's got some reasonably well-known comedy names writing for it, that kind of thing. But they made this key decision not to bother trying to pitch it to the BBC and just take it straight to the internet Mm. as a podcast and so far it's doing really well Um, it's sort of climbing up the UK podcast chart and I think all power to them really yeah anyway they invited me and our colleague Barbara to go along to the launch of it last week and it was really lovely it was it was in a pub and they did a kind of little staged reading of the first episode oh that's really cute which was really sweet oh and they had a couple of warm-up acts as well one of whom is a guy called Kieran Hodgson who has just won the or been nominated for the Foster's Comedy Award uh-huh. Which I'm not entirely sure what that is, but it sounded impressive. Well, Foster's, they are on all the adverts ever for yeah. comedy. So. And this guy, he seemed very young. Well, a lot of what he was taking off was student stereotypes and uh-huh. stuff. He does, he does stand up, but with characters. And I could just tell, like, this boy's going to be really famous. Oh, really? You just see. He... So he came up in sort of in a black tie jacket with a bow tie partly undone and did a kind of th- <laughs> thank you speech from a kind of rowing... Dinner. Oh God! Um, the worst. And it was all just all of the language and all of the intonation was absolutely dead on. Oh, I would have loved that. And then he did a kind of self-referential speech in the character of Kieran, who I think is 
90% him, <laughs> who's a kind of slightly shy boy from the north who goes to university in the south. And then his last thing was he did a song, which was kind of like an advising spirit, advising on him how to do his UCAS form. And, and it was the whole spirit of the song was, have you considered coming down south? Um, you know, leave the, the red brick universities of the north and consider everything the south has to offer. Yeah, it was yeah. very funny. Um, but yeah, I could just see he's going to get booked on Live at the Apollo and then his career is going to take off from there. Oh, that's really um, cool. But yeah, so that was really nice. And it was really nice to meet other podcasting people. I even met a person from, a Danish person from the Copenhagen Radio Festival. And yeah, wow, it was that sounds so fun. I'm sad that I missed it. Brilliant. One, one person did think Barbara was you. The plus, like, <laughs> they listened to Seriously and said, oh, is this Anna? And I went, no. <laughs> Barbara and I have a long running joke that we seem to wear the exact same outfit to work like every day, although each day it's a wildly different outfit. It's always we're always look exactly the same. So I can't really blame them for getting us confused. <laughs> you may not have come to that, but you did write something that most of the internet read this week. Well, I don't know about most of the internet, but <laughs> I, I look at the web stats, it was most of the internet. But a few people read it, which is great, which was about this whole thing with Ryan Adams covering Taylor Swift's nineteen eighty nine in its entire which some might say seems a bit of a self-indulgent exercise um For I him. yeah exactly I think Taylor's just pretty flattered and and seems genuinely enthused by it and to be fair to him he seems genuinely like a really big fan of her so that does make it quite nice but yeah so the album is literally just a straight track by track mm. cover did you listen to it? I did. I listened to it on Spotify, so it was interrupted every three or four songs with a little ad, but I did listen yeah, to it. Yeah, so we did a high, and you're like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm meant to be listening to this. <laughs> because I don't know about you, but I found it like incredibly samey. So I would not realise one song had finished and another had started, and I had to keep going back to be like, oh, I haven't heard him do style, but apparently I'm already on Out of the Woods. Yes, yeah, same. I kept skipping back because I thought I'd missed songs that I'd apparently already heard as well. And also, this might be me being sort of elderly and rubbish, but who is Ryan Adams? I've never I, heard of him. He, I think he's someone who's actually much bigger in the States than okay. he is over here. But lots of people seem to be like, oh, I've heard about him, but like never really understood why he was so popular. But he's basically, he started off in bands and then went solo sort of at the beginning of the noughties, mm. I think. The label often given to him is like alternative country music or right. alternative country musician, which is probably a pretty fair label, but it's also one that I would probably apply to Taylor Swift because... Or at least where she started. Yeah, Yeah, but all her stuff started very, like, traditionally country. And I think now when you listen to her music, you can hear those roots, but you wouldn't call her a country musician anymore. And Mm. for me, if alternative doesn't mean, like, pushing at the edges of the genre boundary, then I don't really know what it means. But I think I do know what it means. And what it means is, like, indie in inverted commas, which is, like, a bit lo-fi and masculine and, like, not considered pop enough to be mainstream, basically. Because that's what he's done with the album, right? Is he's slowed all of the tracks down, Mm. he plays acoustic guitar under them, and he sort of croons a bit yeah exactly and but that's that was about it, really. it yeah and it's all I, I i i don't know again maybe listeners can tell us if this is me being ignorant but i'm not familiar with any other like full cover albums like this mm. but i feel like when you make an album generally you don't want it just to be one level the whole point is that 
you move through the record with different emotions and different ideas. And, and the original 1989 absolutely does that. Ryan Adams' version is very flat and samey across yeah. the whole thing. He's made all the songs sound like the same song, which is why I, I, I think we both had this problem of not being able to tell where we were in it. It's sad, like because the thing that I really like about 1989 is that it is so varied and like yeah. you can have so many different emotional moments like at different times. One of the, one of the other things that struck me about this problem of it being fairly samey is that I mean as soon as I heard that idea as I say in the piece like it reminded me of another cover of a Taylor Swift song by a similar like alternative country musician called Butch Walker and I said that in the piece and then people who read it were contacting me like oh it reminded me of this Taylor Swift cover this Taylor Swift cover so actually there's loads loads of like country stars Mm. singing flattened out versions of Taylor Swift pop songs and taking them back to those sort of sad country roots that are there in the structure of a lot of her songs without being too in your face. So people are like, wow, look at what this song can be. So I don't think it's that original, what he's done. And I don't want to be mean about Ryan Adams because I don't think he's actually like doing anything terrible, but it just wasn't great. It just wasn't good enough to justify the cover, I think, in my mind. No, and that being true, then what you went on to say in the piece is the critical reaction to it has said a whole lot of things about the music industry and the way music criticism works that are quite unpleasant, in the sense that because he's a man who does a certain type of kind of, quotes, indie alternative music, a lot of people have felt they can take this music seriously in a way that they couldn't when Taylor Swift was singing it. Yeah, exactly. That that reaction to me is like very deeply gendered mm. and very lazy. <laughs> I think the worst thing about it is it's like if you're a music journalist and you've spent your whole life or, you know, your professional life working on having really interesting and like insightful opinions about albums to come out with like, oh, this guy slowed down Taylor Swift's album and now it sounds really edgy. It's just like so lazy and mm. so and boring as an opinion and you just think is that really the best you can give me? Can you not tell me something more interesting about why Taylor Swift's music is so popular and is so good and Mm. like what we've actually achieved from having this cover album, if anything? But yeah, a lot of the a lot of the responses were just deeply like one of the ones that struck me most was this one by Ian Crouch in the New Yorker who said that he thought um, one of the great achievements of the Ryan Adams album was that he listened to a woman's exuberant pop music and in it heard his own melancholy. So (laughs) the absolute achievement of creating a cover song is to override the original message of the song and only find your own emotions in there. Just the, the idea of appropriating a song completely to your own state. And he was like, yeah, good for him because he's obviously smart and interesting, but Taylor Swift's just like this blonde woman who probably doesn't have complicated feelings <laughs> which is so unfair and as you say so so gendered and also as you point out the new yorker didn't bother to review the original 1989 yes, when it came out which exactly. feels feels telling it really does that review was headlined haters gonna hate and i found that so smug because it was just like haters gonna hate on this review we've done because I, obviously i know that that title can be read a lot of different ways it can be like oh haters of Ryan Adams are going to hate this cover he's done of Taylor Swift. Mm. But also like, oh, hate is going to hate that the New Yorker has reviewed a Taylor Swift written album. Mm. And it's just like, no, come on, guys, it's 2015. Engage in the conversation properly. <laughs> and, it, you know, it's a, it's a quote from the, the lyrics and the message yeah. of Shake It Off, isn't it? Where when Taylor Swift sings that song, it's a really positive and inclusive sort of set of lyrics about you know I'm not always brilliant at everything and I don't know it really annoyed me seeing that title kind of 
put out of context in a kind of wry like lip curling and that's another thing that all these reviewers do is like so many of them talk about blank space as like this kind of pop song about breaking hearts blank space is a brilliant song i think and i i'm someone who like loved taylor swift for so long and then went off her recently because i find her whole brand has become a bit like clinical and horrible and Mm. all that stuff with Nicki minaj and her videos has really coloured it badly for me that situation but um she's written an amazing song in blank space that like takes this public persona of her of as being someone who like has loads of boyfriends and like writes songs like moody songs about them breaking up with her and like kind of says oh you want to see crazy i'll show you fucking crazy and Mm. like makes this incredible like satire of that person and it's a really funny song it's like a quite it's a it's a fairly sad song but it's mostly just funny and then people taking that and being like oh yeah it's just a really boastful song about breaking hearts and you're like you're not listening and that's one of the minimum like requirements of, of your job so listen and then tell me what ryan adams actually does with that song hearing ryan adams sort of slowly croon like i go on too many dates no one's saying that about Ryan Adams. No one's saying, oh, Ryan Adams, what a slut. <laughs> it's not a criticism that he's facing, so it just doesn't work for me. Even the title of Blank Space is in itself a sort of criticism because she's saying, you see me as a blank space yeah. onto which you can write whatever you want. Exactly. It's a really great title as well because it's, I, I also feel like there's an implication of like, oh, the blank space that the tabloids have to fill in yes. their columns, yeah. but also the idea of, you know, I've got a blank space, baby, and I'll write your name like men are nothing to me and mm. I'm going to use you actually to project onto in the same way that people think they're using me. So really like there's a lot of stuff going on in that song and for all Taylor Swift's flaws, I think it's it's one thing to say like oh I find her a bit off putting I don't like this whole like girl power thing she's got going on but it's but it's quite another to say like oh she can't write a good song until some guy comes along and sings it for her because she's written brilliant songs especially recently I think yeah she definitely can write brilliant songs same as you I actually I sort of stuck with her I think longer than you did. It was only actually the Wildest Dreams video that really made me question (laughs) my Taylor Swift fandom because that was my favourite song on 1989. Yeah, it's a wonderful song. I love it. And the video that just has, it's sort of, like a kind of out of Africa parody. They're kind of filming an out of Africa style film somewhere like on the savannah and there's like lions and and there's not like a single person of colour in the whole mm. thing. It views like a kind of colonial safari fantasy yeah, and is not in any way undercut with anything. There's no would... comment, is there? It's not yeah. like they're doing it to say like, oh, there's no subversive edge that like comes in at any point. Yeah. It's just like a bizarre video because she's there like in front of a fan. You can see her like being fanned by the enormous yeah. thing and like the wind in her hair and then they'll just be like a giraffe in the background. <laughs> You're like, stupid. okay, cool, Taylor. I don't yeah. really get this vibe. That video kind of slightly soured my appreciation of Taylor for a bit, but I'll get over it. Yeah. Um, and actually, this this whole Ryan Adams thing has put me firmly back in Team Taylor in the sense that Ryan Adams, as you say, he does seem to be just genuinely a fan and he wanted to do the cover as a kind mm. of tribute to her. So, you know, all credit to him. But the way the kind of industry and critical establishment has taken and run with that does show actually kind of what a trailblazer she has been yeah exactly and there are some like honorable mentions out there for the for the journalists that like did take it and do something proper with it so pretty much amazing who are a great sort of music site titled their review taylor swift writes ryan adams's best album which Mm. i thought was great (laughs) and also enemy weirdly after their revamp where they've moved away from just being like the absolute flag wavers for like indie boys in bands they said it's not better it's definitely sadder (laughs) (laughs) which is like exactly what he's done he's just 
just made it sad and constantly mm. whereas she's tonally it's always doing several things at once mm. which ryan adams i'm afraid to say does not achieve it made me think of covers that i do like and that i do think are really mm. successful the radiohead cover of the spy who loved me is i think really really good and does what i think a cover should do which is it reminds you of the musical brilliance of the original song but adds an extra layer on top of that obviously i'm not this is not my diatribe against like men covering women like that's not what i'm saying is inherently mansplainy it's more people's response to be suddenly like wow he's unearthed like so many critics were just saying like he's found meaning in the songs that were not originally there <laughs> taylor's millions of fans were finding plenty of, <laughs> plenty meaning, of meaning yeah <laughs> when she was singing them herself yeah so listen to the album at your peril listeners <laughs> yeah it's kind of so i would say actually that if if you've got maybe a slightly boring task you need to do like filing like filing invoices or yeah like moving things from one part of a spreadsheet into another one that kind of thing it's a good album for that because it will make it because it all sounds the same it'll make it feel like time is passing faster than it is <laughs> it's pretty inoffensive it's not going to like distract you from any menial thoughts you need to be having <laughs> Magic madness, heaven and sin Saw you there and I thought Oh my God, look at that face You look like my next mistake Love's a game, do you wanna play? New money, suit and tie Now we're going to talk about The Great British Bake Off, which is coming to the end of its current series. We're just coming up to the semi-finals. Anna and I are both fairly regular watchers of The Bake Off, I think it's fair to say. Very regular, I would say. Yeah, if I can't watch it live, I definitely catch up on it within 48 hours. It's become part of this bigger conversation. I think it's what everyone talks about in their office on Thursdays. Have you watched The Bake Off yet? It's the kind of default reading. um, No spoilers for The Bake Off, like watch the bloody bake-off then yeah and also its tv ratings are holding up in a way that almost nothing they're nuts so wasn't it like the the last series i don't know if it was this one but the last series premiered to eight million when it had just moved to bbc one which is like crazy which is crazy and and they're holding up or even increasing like the kind of live figures Mm. when almost everything else is going down live and they're making up on on demand services it is a trend bucking phenomenon yeah people want to watch it when it's on yeah which is like funny because on the surface obviously the great british bake-off is something that doesn't seem like very urgent (laughs) or eventy in the way that they try and make x factor like an event it's a live show yeah and also the stakes are low like with x factor it's all about this is going to change my life with the bake-off it's like i really hope my cake impresses the judge yeah Yeah, but that's what I love about it, is the low stakes, essential niceness of it. Yeah, um, exactly. So so the current season is really lovely, mm. is really lovely. I am really liking it, but it has lacked a couple of the kind of key characters from series gone by that I've enjoyed. Yeah. But anyway, in the meantime, what has been your favourite moment from this year's Bake Off? Well, as you say, I think this series has been maybe a little bit less dramatic than last series. Everyone remembers the Bingate episode Still last series. the most read article I've ever written on the internet. Oh, really? Is about Bingate. Yeah, yeah, it was mad. I remember because I was out of the country at the time and like everything went crazy. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, maybe we'll link to my, you know. Yeah, the Bingate piece. My, my brilliant Bingate <laughs> piece that has an amazing gif in it of a melted baked Alaska. Yeah, so that was when, was he called Ian? Yes, Ian from Northern Ireland who had a... 
lovely coppery beard. beard. Yeah, he was handsome. He made a baked Alaska that was not chilled or frozen or whatever enough and melted. So he threw it in the bin in a rage, and it was like the absolute craziest thing that's ever happened on British TV. Well, and also because the way they'd edited the program made it look like his fellow contestant (laughs) Diana had left his baked Alaska out of the freezer, and that's why it melted everywhere. Which is apparently not what happened at all. I know. Although Um, his statement was like, "I wish Diana all the best, but she still ruined everything." (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so the article I wrote at the time was like, "No, I'm on Team Diana, and you should be too." Which so there hasn't been a moment quite like that this season. But there hasn't been a moment of national controversy. Outrage. (laughs) No, no. But there was one moment that I do think like melted a lot of hearts, which was in Bread Week, which I think was something like the third episode. One of the contestants, Paul, said that he was going to make his bread in the shape of a lion. Paul's lion bread was like he made it that it's really hard to get this across like how brilliant it was but basically he shaped it with just dough so that when it came out baked it like just looked like a perfect lion's face Mm. so he'd like knotted all the bits of dough like together to form like those little cheeky pouches you get on the lion and like the chin of the lion and the big furry eyebrows of the lion and the whiskers of the lion and then he just put it in the oven and it came out and it was a perfect lion's face and it was like <laughs> mad he didn't get star baker i think because he'd like royally messed up one of the other things but they had to give him a special commendation because they were like that bread lion <laughs> was one of the most inspiring things i've ever seen so that was my real highlight yeah i think my top actually i really like this series where they did the sort of historical baking week oh i I always hate that i I always fast forward through that mostly because i just like old stuff and also it was just absurd so my (laughs) favorite thing was they had to make it's called like a tennis cake or something which is like a massive that is truly random it's random it's like Like we don't have a cricket cake and a football cake (laughs) it's like a massive great big brick of really dense fruit cake with like a sort of big what's it called royal icing marzipan icing great big like layer of green icing on the top with like a tennis court piped on it and then like a net made of icing that has to stand up and Matt one of the contestants who has now sadly left the Bake Off um, spoilers really (laughs) come on it was like three weeks ago he really got stressed over this and Sue Perkins one of the presenters sort of had to come and say to him like it's just a cake that looks like a tennis like do not lose your shit over this like (laughs) over this fake lawn yeah because he couldn't get the net to stand up and he couldn't remember what a tennis court looked like to like pipe the lines on it so he was really stressed out but it just that for me is the epitome of the bake-off is someone like losing their shit over a kind of cake that no one has ever heard of and that probably doesn't even taste very nice i know and the funniest bit about that as well was that you had to make like a little icing net and and tennis uh rackets to go on it so obviously like you know just make the icing with the sugar and water and then like freeze them so that they're hard enough to stand up but matt for some reason thought it'd be a good idea to bake his icing so he like <laughs> put his icing his ice beautifully like perfectly ice net into the oven and then it came out like all yellow and like crumbling and like gross and his cake just looked like the banksy dismaland version of a tennis cake yes. <laughs> it, like looked looked like the haunted house of like tennis courts it was really creepy yeah so that was a that was a great moment but generally this season has been quite as you say quite low oh yeah maybe there's drama. a huge drama coming because now we're down to the four remaining contestants uh. and the week coming is the semi-final with tamal nadia ian and flora and now as as we said they still do the sort of random little history segment in the program but generally you just get more footage of them baking they don't add any extra challenges in or anything yeah you just see Um, the process in more detail in one sense is excellent because it means we get more of lovely tamal yeah i love tamal so much do you think that do you think that what i'm about to say is appropriate for the podcast (laughs) 
when I was Go watching it. it, I was watching it with my boyfriend who knows about my love for Tamal and occasionally makes me watch the history section of the Bake Off as punishment for my <laughs> lusting over what, Tamal. Rather than being allowed to pass Yeah, he's it. like, no, we're watching it because you've been lusting after Tamal too much. that's the bit where you get up and go make up tea. Yeah, no, I don't I don't drink tea, so I don't do that. I just continue to shove my donut in my face that I have to have with me when I watch the bake off. And Tamal was sort of like nervously giggling about <laughs> about like messing up his cake or whatever, and he just turned to me and said, That nervous giggle is the noise Tamal would make as he entered you. And then that was it. I was just lost to the rest of the entire episode. So I love Tamal. Uh, he's actually also like a doctor and yeah. really nice and really handsome and like also just bakes amazingly. So he's just like the perfect man, as most viewers have commented. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, and he does really interesting stuff. Like when they did the bit where they go around before and like, what are you making? What are the flavors in it? They were a bit like, hmm. Then it turned out great. And Mary Berry was like, well, I've been interested in a new thing. Thank yeah. you, Tamal. You know, that kind of stuff. He's he he's like experimental, but not in a sort of annoying, showy way. And he brought in like a syringe to like inject yes. his cakes with and stuff. So he's really good. I think Nadia as well has come on like so far. I mean, she was always good from the beginning, but she always like messed up on the technicals mm. when her stress levels were just like make her you know not able to do things properly now she's really good at the technicals and she's like come top in a few of them i think yeah she's got much more confident and yeah. much more sort of no i've, I've practiced it it's good I'll yeah keep going. exactly and whereas really... she was much more flappable before yeah and like she? if it it's really sad when you know when they have to make something and they like bake the basic sponge print it just doesn't work so they're like oh god i have to do it again but mm. she's she's had to do that a couple of times she, and she manages it in yeah. a way that other people often she don't. pulls it off yeah, yeah. She as well, by the way, has a like lovely husband on on Twitter. If you if you oh, look at their interaction, oh, their interactions on Twitter, are so cute. Like during the Bake Off every week, he tweets like, "My shining star, Nadia, my beautiful angel, winning again. The greatest prize for me that I could have is being married to you." Like it's, it's very very cute. So he seems really nice. Flora, who's like the youngest in the competition, and she's from like rural Scotland and like doesn't know how to bake without an argo. <laughs> that was <laughs> and, like, funny. Knows how to make a pheasant pie because her like posh school ran like a pheasant pie competition so she's like often doing quite traditional and very intricately beautiful mm. things she also has this really quite destructive habit of being asked to make one thing 
and then deciding so like they're asked to make I don't know some kind of cake with tears and so and then she's like you know what would make this cake with tears even better slash more complicated is if I put more macaroons on it yeah, so yeah. she makes like a whole nother thing to stick on it yeah so like last week they were like what are you making Flora and she was like twill lots and lots of twill and they were like what about your cake and she was <laughs> like that will come in time <laughs> yeah they keep pulling her up for this and I think she keeps getting marked down for it so um, yeah hopefully she'll like not won't risk that especially in the semi-final and the final where mm. you just can't afford to do that and then lastly we have ian who like i'm bored by by ian yeah i'm really <laughs> bored by him i find it annoying how he's constantly like fashioning custom molds and tins for his stuff like in his shed yeah um, and, and then... he can like bring a quail egg in yeah <laughs> what are you doing ian why are you killing these quail eggs yeah is he we don't like him basically he was teacher's pet at the beginning and when you're teacher's pet at the beginning it's like oh we now like especially because people like nadia and tamal who you could see they had so much potential but were like weren't doing brilliantly at the start ian got star baker three four times in a row it was like ridiculous yeah and it puts you off someone doesn't it yeah exactly he didn't he didn't really have space to grow and therefore we didn't have space to to look to no him. one likes an overachiever ian we should i would like to give an honorable mention to norman from the previous series of the bake-off yeah, oh norman he he still has a place in my heart break like, break my bloody heart why don't you Norman? Yeah, lovely norman who was a sort of elderly scottish man who i mean he loved baking but he he didn't have any truck with this like overly fancy baking that yeah they wanted the, him to do. They, yeah he kept referring to stuff as like posh and fancy and one of my favorite things that he was like oh i've got something exotic in my recipe this week and they were like really norman what is it and he was like pesto <laughs> they were like pesto really <laughs> congratulations norman yeah and quite a lot of the time when he was asked to make oh i think my favorite one was in biscuit week when they asked them to make shortbread and he mm. just made some shortbread and they're like so what's special about your shortbread he's like it's, it's just really good it's shortbread. Just, it's just really good shortbread and it was to be fair they yeah. were like this is lovely if shortbread had, like, but... put, like orange zest in it or anything yeah weird. all and the I... others had like oh this is a pistachio and rose shortbread no i miss norman norman was hashtag normcore yeah in the in its purest sense and he eventually had to go because he tried putting lavender in something and they were like norman how much lavender did you put in this biscuit no. who would you like to see win tamal me too with or Nad- Nadia. Or Nadia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Flora's good, but like she's not quite at, at their level, and Ian's just like annoying. Yeah. Because what, you don't really win anything if you win the Bake Off. Apparently. No, what said, did Nancy from who last year's winner? Has she done anything? I think she probably. I got, think she has a Telegraph she column. Got a- cookbook out or something yeah you know? but this is this is what is so brilliant about the bake-off as a format and as an institution that you know the, the format's been sold abroad and done in all different countries in britain you just win a nice apron yeah, yeah. That's it. and the joy of knowing you've made a good cake yes <laughs> yes the winner has to be the person who made good cake but you want the winner to be someone who has a good story yeah because that gives the story a happy ending yeah, I don't, I mean, none of them have, like, in- incredible stories, but out of the people who are left, Tamal and Nadia are, like, have more of a personality. Yes, and it just be, it would be rubbish to have Ian win, because it's like, so, Ian, you were great at this from the beginning, and now you are still great at it. Yeah, and also we probably should mention that at the beginning of this series, someone in the Daily Mail decided to go on a rant about the fact that too many of the contestants in the Great British Bake Off were not white. Yeah. <laughs> when there's is... about three people who weren't white, or four, maybe. Yeah, this is a kind of regular theme for i think it's quentin letts has written this column several times that the, the don't give him the satisfaction of going and reading that article the please. great british bake-off is sort of too right on like you know we all love it but does it have to be so bloody right on it's like yes <laughs> but also like the idea that like your skin color can be right on or not it's like oh. a stupid <laughs> thing so to annoying. say um but it kind of does speak to a slightly more serious point about the bake-off which is that 
it does have a vibe of something that generally I don't like, which is those keep calm and carry on mugs. Yeah. And sort of gingham tablecloths and tweeners. Like and the past- best thing about Britain is like tea, which is an import and like, you know, all yeah. that, that kind of like weird, almost colonialist vibe yeah, of being like, ah, like- oh, Britain. And I associate this with like pastel coloured bunting. Yeah. And Kath Kidson. Yeah. And Kath Kidson and just general like twee nostalgia for something that we're not quite sure what it Um, even was yeah exactly but it's quite good at sort of getting around that i think by being very like interested in exciting new flavors and like doesn't want you to just come up with like the victoria sponge that the wi might have made in the 1940s that they're always pushing and saying like well what's different about this what's exciting about this and so i think in that sense they're not quite that stereotype. No, it's got it's got the aesthetic, but it hasn't got the politics of it. Yeah, and, and it would be really nice to see someone who isn't white win the Bake yeah. Off for that reason, because no, it would just go to show. That is so nice that when you see people who are bringing a bit of something else and combining it with what the sort of Bake Off stands for and, and everyone really enjoying that. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. As you say, it kind of unites people in a way that I don't know, maybe live television used to do this, maybe it only works now, Twitter exists, but when I when I lived on my own, the Bake Off was like a major event in my week because mm-hmm. I knew that all my friends would be on Twitter talking about it and that that was like a kind of community thing I could do. Definitely, and it, it's it's weirdly for something, as I say, that like is, is not very urgent and isn't very like high stakes, something that people really, really want to tune into at the time. And I think so much credit has to be given to the fact that this is a show that always had its tongue in its cheek. Yeah. And like Mel and Sue are such great presenters because they often say like, oh no, how will we possibly cope with like, you know, this kind of flower added to the mix? And they're always aware that like, this is a very low stakes program and they love to like make sexual innuendos and silly jokes. And I think that really makes it something that the entire audience feels like they're in on the joke Mm. and like anyone who doesn't watch the bake-off isn't in on the joke and so that's something that can really stir people to want to have a conversation about it and they make it high stakes as well i mean so the the last episode where they had to make that uh what's it called religieuse thing where it's yeah the nun it's like a tower it's like a tower of individual eclairs sort of sculpted into a shape of a nun yeah Um, like just a cone a big sort of cone with like a little bun on top yeah little dome that was so tense. It watching. was so mean, I thought. Yeah, because they made them. And then they made them like leave them for two hours while they had lunch to see whether they stood up. Yeah, which is just like so cruel. And also, this is such a like feature of Nadia's personality, such a like key quirk of hers, is that she saw that it was collapsing and just like took it apart herself because <laughs> she couldn't bear to watch it collapse. Yeah. <laughs> She's such a perfectionist. Like <laughs> She just lifted the top layer off. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I also thought that was really cruel. Um but I uh, can't wait for the semi-final and no. the final to come. Yeah, they're really all, exciting. the showstoppers in the finals are always out Amazing. of this world. Yeah. yeah, They have like six hours to make. Yeah, you know. and everyone comes in with their like square, what's it called? The like ruler and protractor yeah. and stuff. <laughs> Set square. <laughs> yeah, and what's it called? The spirit level to make sure that yeah. the icing is exactly, <laughs> exactly perpendicular. No, yeah. I can't yeah. wait for that. Pitootie pie. Pitootie pie. So last week, listeners may remember I recommended Anna the book The Lives of Christopher Chant by Diana Wynne-Jones. 
Anna, what did you think of it? This is, this book is so weird. <laughs> Just from the off, like, it's so weird. Yeah, I I liked it and it was, like, captivating. I was, like, reading it, but also I found myself thoroughly confused fairly frequently. I don't know about you. Okay, there were a couple of things that I was like, I'm not quite sure about this. Number one, this may be much more to do with my, like, waning ability to imagine things. <laughs> it might, might be much more to do with my, like, ageing imagination. I found it quite hard to, like, visualise the worlds because she talks about them in very, like, abstract terminology. So just for a little bit of backstory, Christopher, Christopher Chant, he is able to sort of go to different worlds. He seems to think at the beginning, well, he's dreaming, but even though it's a dream, he knows that it's real. He mm-hmm. kind of has that sense. It's not, like, talked about that much, but he knows that he's, like, actually going places. He's bringing things back and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. he's, like, leaving clothes there for him to change into because he kept making his clothes really muddy and then his nanny would wake up in the morning like oh my god christopher what have you done you've soiled the bed again (laughs) he goes to the like these different valleys and he calls them the anywheres and the almost anywhere and you know the the place of something the place in between the place in between yeah yeah. and they're like the way they're described is like oh there were rocks that were sort of jutting out but it's like intentionally i think very difficult to visualize concretely Mm. where where he is or what's going on so that was something that i kind of like missed in like other fantasy series that i've read which are much more about trying to get you to really enter the fantasy world and like visualize all the like minute details Mm. of it and also the other thing that i missed about it was that there was no like one set place there's a bit where he's living at home there's a bit where he's living at school and then most of it to be fair he's in the castle that he ends up in Um, which is where they like try and teach him to harness his magic so those for me made it like maybe less successful than like harry potter or Mm. like his dark materials which for me have like stronger like senses of place and also christopher is a really funny character because I i thought that maybe i like wasn't getting into his brain very well and I was like, is this my fault? Is he actually quite charismatic? But then he has a sort of realisation later on that maybe he's coming across a bit, like, distant and snobbery. Yeah, I, I quite like that, actually. That It's not often you get a, a central character in something like this where about two-thirds of the way through, they're like, oh, no, I am being a dick to Yeah, everybody. exactly. It's really funny. Yeah. So basically, again, just to give a bit more backstory, he realises that these dreams are, like, more amazing than he thought because Uncle Rafe comes along and says like wow you know gets a sense that he's been on these journeys by some of the trinkets he's brought back from his bedroom and really like pushes him to keep going on these journeys and like has someone meet him in the dream world but at the same time christopher's dad doesn't know about what the uncle's doing and christopher's dad is also very interested in christopher's like magic potential and sends him to school so that he can learn magic and then takes him out of school and takes him somewhere else so that he can learn magic and then he ends up in this castle with this guy who's got like nine lives and it's like what we eventually learn is the Crestomanchi or Crestomancy or however you want to say it that, that forms the like name of the series so he's moving about a lot and like there's lots of different characters there's no like one set of like key people that he's mm. always with so those things for me were problems that I had with it but I also like really wanted to keep reading and the confusion of it were fairly addictive at the same time that's how I find it and what did you make of the magic in it the magic in it, again, is something that's so weirdly described because there are moments in it, and I'm not going to be able to remember her exact phrasing, but he'll, he'll be like, Christopher was stood outside his room and suddenly realised he had the potential to make the room invisible. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Where he can, like, suddenly understands that he can access magic that he wasn't really aware of before. And it's not like, say, in Harry Potter where you get certain things, like J.K. Rowling goes to great pains to always re-describe the feeling of apparition. Yeah. Or, like 
the the way that you con- conjure a Patronus. I, well, I think part of the reason for that is so that the Crestomancy in this world is a nine-lived sorcerer, and this is really, mm. really rare. And as a result, anyone who has that ability is trained up to occupy this this kind of role, the Crestomancy in society, who's like the kind of like the Dumbledore of the world, mm. like the kind of the magical regulator of and of of the world. So this is what he's being trained for. So I think you're supposed to get the sense that he's kind of absurdly talented but doesn't really know it. Mm. That's why he's suddenly like, oh wait, I can just make everything invisible. It's quite near the end, I think, where he's trying to create secrecy and privacy around him in another character. Like a muffling spell. Like a muffling spell. And he does it too much and he realises that he can't even hear himself, like his own thoughts. And it's described as him scooping out the middle of the spell so that they have some space to talk in. And there's other places where... That's exactly the language that I'm talking about there where I'm like, oh, but what does that mean? Yeah, and there's other places where like he has to learn this thing called witch sight where he can like mm. see spells and once he does that he, he can like tear bits off them and like use it to wrap things up in i quite like the like textured feel of the magic even yeah. if it's not entirely logical all the time exactly and it, it isn't logical what you're describing there i think is it was maybe my problem with it is it's a completely new way of envisaging magic it's not like oh and then he got his wand and he cast his spell mm. or like oh and then lyra was given the device that allowed her to tell the future it's like much more fuzzy and foggy and like you don't really understand how he's navigating it and it's not like he's like oh i then realized that if i blinked four times i could do x y and z he was like i then realized that this was part of my potential yeah (laughs) and it's like really um yeah fuzzy but i think that's probably an accurate way of, of trying to describe the situation that she's invented for him i i also really liked in it the bit when it's too complicated to explain who his friend the goddess is, but um, she she sort of escapes from this kind of temple where she's been held before and she comes to live with him secretly. And the the bit where he's trying to like furnish an attic in the castle yeah. for her and the cat she's brought with him with her. Um, and he's like summoning bits from all over the castle mm. to like and, and just I always I'm a total sucker for the like practical problems of magic. So like he wants some milk for the cat. Yeah. So he summons an entire churn from the kitchen and he's like, no, 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 it's too much. So he has to decant it into a smaller thing and then send it back. <laughs> um, and like when he accidentally summons part of a table because he wants the plates that are on it. Yeah, and it's like balancing on the bench that they're sat on. Yeah, but, yeah. exactly. Um, I, I really like that kind of... Oh, in the time when he thinks someone's going to discover his friend and her cat so he makes them all invisible um and then he forgets to unmake her invisible yeah and it takes her ages to work out how to make herself visible again and she she's like panicking that she's going to stand on her own cat because she can't see anything so like that it's obviously like just weird and original and like took me a while to get used to i think um but yeah, it's it's quite a compelling story. There's like lots of plots going on at once. So there's the, the whole plot with the goddess. There's the plot about um, Christopher wants to be a cricketer, not a magician. Not magician is not the right word, but like not, a sorcerer. Or a whatever sorcerer, like yeah. Oh, and the other thing is to mention is he's got nine lives, but he keeps abs- accidentally dying and using them. Yeah. So by the end of the book, he's not. He's only got one life left. He's got. It's because he keeps dying on his kind of expedition. Yeah, he's to very other unlucky worlds. because yeah. like it's not that he like keeps dying because like for example, one of the ways he dies is like in the other world he like comes across a dragon and like it burns him to death which is like yeah you would die but like also he like gets told off for losing so many lives leaves the room trips over the cat and dies yeah and you're like falls down the stairs and breaks so his neck unlucky. Yeah. or like goes out of the castle once for five minutes and like manages to fall over a wall and die and you're like 
wow, I'm really glad I'm not your parent because like <laughs> the smallest of situations seem to cause you, you know, certain death. But this this causes quite a lot of kind of comedy. So like, because if he, if he dies in one of the other worlds, his own world has to kind of invent an equivalent circumstance for him to mm. die there so that everything evens out. And so I can't remember what happens, but he gets hit on the head by something in another world. And so then he gets hit by a cricket ball. And dies. And dies in, in this world. And his and friend is like, oh my God. And his, his friend thinks he's killed him. And they, you know, he's so dead that they take him. He's actually like all the way in the morgue before he wakes up. Like the new life takes over and he wakes mm. up. He like runs. He has hysterics as you would because we wake up like covered in a sheet in a morgue. And mm. he like runs around the hospital naked wearing only a, a sheet shouting that he's missing cricket practice. Yeah. And all the hospital people have to chase him. So I find it quite endearing. Yeah, it's very cute. Um, yeah, so... Wildly complicated, but very sweet would be mm. my overall sentiment. I've, given how much I love this particular book, I've never read any of the other ones in the series. Oh, so really? I'd be really interested to hear from people who had and who could recommend me a place to start. Maybe yeah. I should actually read them finally. We had a lovely message from a listener who's like, I named my dad Christomanchi and sent oh, us a yes. cute picture. We'll so retweet thanks. that. <laughs> yeah, um, if you, um, you want to see that, follow us on Twitter at SeriouslyPod and you will get to see this listener's cat called Grestomaxi. <laughs> Um, But yeah, any more, uh, you know, thoughts on the series, very much welcomed. So Anna, what are you going to recommend me for next week? So next week we have a fairly specific plan in mind, which is that next week's episode is going to look at adaptions of like classic literature. So next week we're going to go see Macbeth. We're going to talk about some BBC adaptions that are on at the moment. With that in mind, for next week, I'm going to give you the seminal classic in its own right, but Shakespeare based, She's the Man. Which is a movie, right? It is. It's a teen movie starring Amanda Bynes uh, and Channing Tatum, who I think you you like Channing Tatum, right? Yeah. We all enjoyed Magic Mike. Yeah, we did. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, and uh, it's a whole, you know, she has to hide her gender. I can't really remember why she has to do it, but she has to be a man to get into something at school. Mm. And I think it's uh, loosely based on Twelfth Night, uh, as would make sense. And yeah, it's it's brilliant. You're going to love it. Okay. <laughs> We've also heard from some listeners this week, which, as you know, we love doing. Letters, yay! Letters. Um, so, in an email from Tracy, which has the excellent email subject line, seriously is great because... Dot, dot, dot. I would encourage more people <laughs> to use this subject line. She's been living in Belgium for the last seven years, and the podcast has been helping her sort of feel connected and keep up with what's going on with pop culture in the UK, which is really nice, because that's partly as we've said what we sort of wanted to do is say yeah Britain has pop culture and it doesn't have to borrow everything from America um and particularly that um it sort of helped her discover a few things that she hadn't tried before which again is something we're trying to do for each other as well as for you particularly Persepolis she really liked which we talked about episode eight yeah, I want to say yeah, the Mardi and Satrapi graphic novel about Iran thank you very much Tracy and uh, we do indeed promise not to be sick again we know that was frustrating when the episode <laughs> was late the other week and we've had another email from Alice thanks for getting in touch Alice who said a really cute thing which is that her friend circle are all girls from Hindland I hope I'm saying that right in Glasgow and they love the show because of that they've it's, she says You've made our lives a lot more fun and we've set up a book club thanks to your podcast, which honestly fills my heart with so much joy. That's really, really nice to hear. I know, that's oh, that's that's so beautiful. The fact that you are getting together to talk about the stuff you're reading and watching and so on. It's exactly what we wanted the podcast to be, so that's so exciting. Yeah, so power to you girls. And also in this email, Alice says the show Scream Queens looks really, really promising and it's coming to UK TV soon, which I have heard about, which is sort of this like, is, I, I might get this completely wrong, isn't it like a sort of spoofy horror style series? Yes, but I think it has singing in it. 
Oh, is, is it a musical as well? Yeah, like, it's got Emma think... Roberts in, who I like, and yes. Leah Michelle. Yeah, it's written, or one of the co-writers is the same guy who wrote Glee, Ryan Murphy. I oh, say. as in like the bald guy. That, yes, yeah, I yeah, think so. yeah. The white um, bald guy he, who like was on. Did you ever watch the the competition called like? It was called like the Glee contest or something. I don't know where they'd like look for someone yes. to be on Glee, yeah, yeah, and he yeah. was like always sat there like looking serious in the in the audience. Yeah, I think he's written it, and I think it's set in the American South somewhere. I that sounds say. fun. And also, the reason I even know any of this is because famous actresses in it isn't it Jamie Lee Curtis Jamie Lee Curtis and anyway they've she's recreated the shower scene from Psycho oh, that's exciting. so it definitely does have a horror element to it but yeah we'll definitely stick that on the list yeah so thanks for the recommendation yeah stay in touch guys <laughs> Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. I'm Anna. And I'm Caroline. You can find us on iTunes. Our Twitter is at SeriouslyPod. And if you want to send us an email, we're SeriouslyPod, S-R-S-L-Y, pod at gmail.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.